Hi, I'm Jason Del Rey, Senior Editor of Commerce at Recode. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Here's an interview from the 2018 edition of An Evening with Code Commerce, which we held in March at Shop Talk in Las Vegas. Kara Swisher talked to Tony Hsu, the co-founder and CEO of DoorDash, along with David Gordon, the president of the Cheesecake Factory. Let's take a listen. So we're going to bring up uh, the Cheesecake Factory's David Gordon and DoorDash's Tony Hsu. Come on up. Oh, wow. Is <laughs> that cheesecake? A little birdie told me that uh, maybe you wanted some. Well, I was in the airport in San Francisco, and I, I said I'm going, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should order, because I was also interviewing Jennifer Hyman, so I said I should wear a gown and eat cheesecake. Um, and so the DoorDash person immediately on Twitter said they're going to deliver cheesecake to me. So. I'm going to let Jen bring it to gown. Okay, all right. Delicious. But we got you. All right, thank you. I'm not going to eat it right here because I'm a really messy eater, but thank you so much. That was very efficiently delivered. Thank you so much. Does anybody like a bite? I think it was delivered on time, and it looks perfect. It does look perfect. It looks good. So we're going to talk about all that. So I'm really excited about this topic. It's uh, I'm going to eat that in a second. Um, uh, because it's, I, I'm really, you know, I covered retail for years and I'm very interested in food delivery and all the activity that's going on. And I want to really have a lively discussion about it. The last person I just interviewed, my last interview that I just did was with Anthony Scaramucci, the mooch. So I'm kind of in that mode. So I need you to be. Tony's your man. All right, I need you to be real quotey and, and inappropriate. Um, so, um, so, so let's first talk about DoorDash right now. You, you all just raised like an obscene amount of money from the people who are handing out obscene amounts of money at SoftBank, correct? We raised our Series D from okay. three investors, SoftBank, Sequoia, and GIC. Okay, Sequoia's been a long-time investor, correct? Sequoia has invested since the Series A. Since the Series A. And you got 500 and, is it $535 million? We raised 535 yes. What are you going to do with all that money? That's a lot of money. It is a lot. It does match, though, the size of the opportunity okay. and the ambition that the team has. Okay. So, I mean, if you just if you just think about restaurants, I know everyone is used, especially in this audience, is used to doing everything on their phones or whatever devices they carry in their home. But ninety five percent of people today still, when it comes to restaurant food, just picks up the phone or walks in the store. Mm-hmm. You know, you compare that to something like retail. Fifteen percent of that is online. Only five percent of restaurant sales are online today. Right. So, long ways to go. Um, and at the same time, if you can deliver a cheesecake in right. proper shape or a burrito hot, you can deliver anything, right. any size, any shape, any distance. Right. So the ambition of the company to become the last mile logistics provider in every city, it goes very far. And we're excited that we have three partners All now. Right. So, and yet, that is a lot, a lot of money. That's an enormous amount of money. So what, is the, what was the thinking? Because you know, when you're raising money, you think about what you really need to spend, what you really need to have, and it's a very thoughtful, it's not a very thoughtful process in Silicon Valley, but it should be a thoughtful process. Um, can you just, what, why that number? Well, it's been a thoughtful <coughs> process always at DoorDash. I mean, right. capital efficiency has always been one of the hallmarks of the company. Mm-hmm. It's the only reason why the company is able to get its earliest markets prof- to profitability, as well as grow triple digits every single year. And, and, and so we've always been very efficient in thinking about how we're going to spend capital. In fact, we would turn away capital if we didn't think we could spend it. Um, it, wasn't a, it wasn't as if we went into this round of financing thinking about a number or optimizing for a number. It was thinking, you had a lower number that you were starting at. No, there was no number set. It was really about figuring out if we had different amounts of capital to raise, what's the opportunity that we can um, you know, pursue and how fast can we do it? 
And this was a fantastic path. So what's the opportunity for, for using that money? We, we're going to triple our geography this year to move from 600 to 1,600 cities across the U.S. and Canada. We're going to add to the selection that we already have. We're super excited to obviously have David's Restaurant. We have 90% of the top 100 restaurant brands that offer delivery. We have a lot more to go. Um, and we're going to double down on the DoorDash Drive platform, which allows any merchant to offer their own delivery. So you don't have to order through DoorDash. You can order through any channel, right. the restaurant's website, app. So you're white system. labeling that. We're offering our logistics platform to everyone. Okay. Um, David, let's talk about that, because one of the things DoorDash is doing is going to big chains like, like Cheesecake Factory. And you do most of your sales in the stores, correct? They're about 10 million? They, they average about 10.6 million per restaurant. Per we restaurant. Do do, we've averaged about 8 to 10% in mm -hmm. off-premise takeout sales since we started as a company. Right. So that's, take, that's people going to pick it up? Or, exactly. But not delivery? It, no. But that, that number has grown from to 11 and then 12% by the end of last year. Right. A part of that being that the delivery business continues to grow. Right. So you had, you had dabbled in delivery, though. Every, you know, I we mean, had, obviously so, people in the in New York are much have a different experience that delivery has been around since the beginning yeah. of time. But most people, you you had dabbled in it and talk about what happened because it didn't work out really so well. So about ten years ago, we mm -hmm. we entered into the delivery game before the technology was really what it is today. Mm -hmm. The technology was a fax machine, mm -hmm. and uh, would sit in the office, and the delivery company would send over a fax, and hopefully somebody was in the office to get that fax, mm -hmm. and they would run it out to somebody who would put it in the POS, and it was very clunky. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a great guest experience. We had no control over any of the metrics around that experience, so we didn't know how long it was taking for the driver to drop the food off. We didn't know the quality of the food once it got there. We didn't know any of that. So we decided after about a year, uh, we had at the time probably 70 restaurants, so we were in maybe 60% of them. It just wasn't worth it. We are an experiential, high-quality restaurant company. There's nothing more important to us, just like Nordstrom, than our brand and uh, how our brand is represented in any channel. Uh, so we walked away from that business. Right, because you, presumably you don't want some a driver that's not looking great, that isn't delivering it hot. or. or it wasn't just the driver. It was actually everything about everything. not controlling that experience and knowing how well it was going mm -hmm. or it wasn't going. Mm -hmm. So when uh, DoorDash came along and the technology was more enabled and the guest experience was much more what you would hope for as far as speed, ease of use, packaging improved, uh, being able to track drivers, understand how long it's taking a driver, to get to our restaurant, first of all, and then from the time they pick up the food, how long is it taking them to get to, to, to somebody's home? And allowing that person then to rate the driver. How was that experience? All of that uh, gave us a lot more hope that it could be done in a way that was really a cheesecake, in cheesecake fashion. So what's a cheesecake fashion? What is, is High quality. Okay. So let me tell you a little bit about Cheesecake Factory. No, I know about Cheesecake okay. Factory. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, everything's made I from have, scratch. No, I have teen children. I know about and, cheesecake. Uh, and with, with 250 menu items, so you know our goal is to deliver very high quality. Right. And, but in uh, delivery, I, I yeah. mean, in terms of the experience, meaning that it has to have the same it standards. To, it has to be fast. Mm -hmm. It has to be high quality, meaning hot or cold appropriate. Mm -hmm. It has to hold up in the container that it's coming in. So that slice of cheesecake is a perfect example. It should look like that when it shows up at your door. It shouldn't mm -hmm. be sitting on its side. It shouldn't be upside down. Uh, yeah. It should look like the value that, that mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. So all of that is very, very important to us. Right. And we're able to... So, so you tested... That when you, you trust that, you, you also have worked with... Um, who did you work with? The other... You worked with other delivery firms. Well, actually, before, before we decided to partner with the delivery firms, mm -hmm. these guys are out there delivering from restaurants all the time, yeah. even if you're not their partner. 
Right. Right. So right, because you put menus up on the list and. So they put menus up, they can call in as a guest mm -hmm. to place it to go order and actually right. have it delivered. Mm -hmm. We wanted to control that experience more. Right. And uh, we partnered early with Tony for a few reasons. One, we are a founder-led company. Tony is the founder of his company. Mm -hmm. Tony is very focused on operational excellence. And he is solely a food delivery company. Mm -hmm. And that gave us confidence that his vision of what he was trying to do was really around food. It wasn't that he was a car sharing service who was going to maybe now deliver food right. or find another way to keep drivers happy. Mm -hmm. He wanted to deliver a high quality experience right. through delivery. So, so go ahead. So what did you have to do to, to do that? Did you, did, you had testers, right? You had secret shoppers, essentially. I don't know that we necessarily had secret shoppers, mm -hmm. but like everything we do, we're very deliberate. Mm -hmm. We spend a lot of time and a lot of energy piloting everything about whether or not DoorDash was going to work for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, once we had a pilot done that we felt confident in, we started rolling out across the country. All right, what did you have to, to do, just not serve the, it can't be just not serve the cheesecake upside down. It's a lot more than that. Well, I mean, I mean, Which I, is a good goal. But that's the most important thing he does. Right, right. We got to get on time as well and get it accurate. But we, I, I grew up in the restaurant world. I mean, I, I grew up in the Midwest and I worked for my mom's restaurant at the age of nine. And so I know how tough it is. You have three you know, different groups. You, you have the back of the house, you have the front of the house, you have the management, mm -hmm. and 50 things are going on you know, every single hour. So it's not just one thing that we had to get right to work with the Cheesecake Factory. Um, for example, there is a Cheesecake Factory in San Francisco where you live, um, in, the, in Union Square. It's, it's in Macy's, yeah. It's in Macy's. It's on the fifth floor of Macy's of a, of a shopping center, Westfield Shopping Center. Mm -hmm. We had to figure out how to get a dedicated parking spot for the dashers. We had to figure out how to take a special access elevator so that the dashers can quickly get to the right spot. We had to figure out how to collate food from the bakery, the expo, the food center, the kitchen, as well as um, the drink center. And we had to do it all just for that one location. Mm -hmm. And then after that order, we have to actually dynamically figure out all the adjustments. If you added avocado to your toast or whatever mm -hmm. it is that you like to do to the order. And so to, to make that one order happen, lots of details have to go right. It's not just no longer working with fax machines. Mm -hmm. We have to integrate into all of the systems, the front end, the kitchen, as well as the back end. And once we get that right, we report out on that and we make it better. So you, so you had to test the systems to do it. Is, it. is it smarter to do larger chains or is it easier to do smaller individual restaurants? We work with the entire gamut. But your, your goal, like, it looks like you're going for big, because you have competitors well, like Seamless, you've got Uber, you've got Well, the vast Amazon. majority of the restaurants on DoorDash are still independent stores like my mom's restaurant. Right. Um, and, and so only about a quarter of, of the volume on DoorDash is actually coming from you know, larger establishments. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we do work with a wide gamut. People like my mom still use a fax machine. Um, you know, a multi-billion dollar company where the stakes are super, super high, mm -hmm. We have to integrate into every system. We have to have the systems talk back and forth to one another in real time. We have to report on the information when something goes wrong and we have to fix it. But, but is that the strategy to get those chains, to, to make a proof of concept with someone? It's the strategy to offer the highest quality experience. And that's exactly what you know, we've done with the Cheesecake Factory. I mean, it start, I mean it's been a two-year relationship. Mm -hmm. When we started, it was a couple of products that we, we had integrated um, in, the, in the pilots that David is referring to. And then it's, it's just gone further. We, we have a lot of information that we collect of what stores are, are performing well. What did you think your prep time was for your cheesecake versus your pasta versus your salad? What was the temperature? 
There are even tests where there are literally temperature guns stuck to a beef patty to tell you whether or not it's over 140 degrees. So there's a lot of things we have to do. So why didn't, David, you do this yourself? I mean, in terms of, because you have your experiential restaurant. Sure. Why not do the entire experience? Is it just too far gone with all these you know, different delivery services? We're a restaurant operating company. We're not a logistics delivery company. Except you kind of are going for it, right? Well, right? you know, our, our, our restaurants are complicated enough as it is today. Mm -hmm. You know, making everything from scratch, having 200 staff members in every single restaurant, all the complexity Tony talked about earlier. We have enough work to do mm -hmm. just to get that right and perfect every day. We don't want to add another level of complexity. Mm -hmm. So finding a partner also who is willing to innovate with us, Tony mentioned the integration of uh, a lot of our systems. When we first started with DoorDash, we weren't integrated directly into our POS system. So all of the orders would come in and they'd show up in an iPad that would sit next to somebody who had at the bakery who had actually input all that information. Through these pilots and working through a partnership, we're able to integrate directly into the POS system. Doing that with a partner is, allows us to focus on what we do best. Okay. You mentioned other companies that have other... Well, companies that perhaps aren't only delivering food, but delivering other things as well. Right. Yeah. So when you're, when, what is that, what is the problem with that? Well, I want to partner with somebody who is solely focused on food. Right. That's what we are. We're a food company. And mm -hmm. I, I, I want to make sure that that relationship is one. You heard Tony talk about his grandparents' restaurant. He has an understanding of what our needs are as a restaurant company, mm -hmm. and that's very important to us. But but when you think about you know all the different players in it that they just don't have enough of focus on on what they're doing even though Uber does blanket the cities with cars everywhere it's that's not your biggest concern is as no. many of them our biggest concern is to make sure that we're again we're operating with somebody that's laser light focused on that end guest experience that last five minutes when they're bringing that that food to the door and and when you're thinking of all the players it would be Uber. There's Postmates, there's Amazon, obviously, Google's yeah. been experimenting. How do you look at all that when you see all that? Uh, well, I think there's a lot of players in every industry, and this is a relatively new industry out there. Um, and so we have to make sure that as we try and understand what their business model is, that it's going to work for us, that it's going to work in the long term, mm -hmm. that they're um, strong companies with a strong foundation, a strong financial foundation. And Tony, obviously, just acquiring the funding that he did um, gave us great confidence in the future also of DoorDash. Uh, and that he's, again, an entrepreneurial young man who wants to continue to grow this part of his business solely around food and how to deliver that experience. So, Tony, speaking of your giant pile of money, um, are you going to use it It's the to... company's resources. Yes, but it's yours. It's right. the company's. Okay. Okay. Um, are you going to buy something with it? Are you going to buy Nordstrom's, for example? <laughs> I heard it's for sale. The executive there was there, rumbling about it. There are always great opportunities out there. I mean, we're, we're heads down focused on building our business right now. I mean, we have so much work to do. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, this is a really hard thing. I mean, no, I get that, I'm not, but I'm not and, asking and, about your heads being down. I wanna, do you think about that? Because it's got to consolidate at some point, presumably. You're thinking about that. We've always... We've always thought about how to offer, first and foremost, the best restaurants at the highest quality. If we can do that, and we can do that for all of the restaurants out there, we're going to be fine. Right, let me try a different way. Do you foresee consolidation in the industry, given it's so littered with so many companies? 
I think that... And there's some big ones with a lot more money than you have. So people eat 20 to 25 times any zip code mm -hmm. um, in this country or in any country. Right. So it's a big opportunity of which 5% is online. It's 5% is online, meaning... 5% is online. Right. And, 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 and the, again, the vast, vast majority does not you know, follow the rules of San Francisco or mm -hmm. Vegas or mm -hmm. New York City. Right. And, 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 and so there's a long ways to go um, before the market is necessarily going to play out. I mean, that's why right now you see there's, there's multiple players. However, at the same time, I think you're seeing the winners emerge. Winner, winners among the, the small companies versus, I mean, the two big ones would be Uber and Amazon and then the smaller players. If you look at the industry and, and you look at actually, um, you know, who is servicing the, the highest stake restaurants with the most premier brands, the longest tenure in doing this, DoorDash has 90% of the top 100 brands that offer delivery. Mm -hmm. What do you think of Twitter's, uh, who owns, Square owns Caviar, right? Square owns Caviar. I keep mixing up because he has two jobs. Um, so so what, how do you imagine that? that why they're doing that in that group well i think you should ask jack i have he doesn't have a good answer that i like so i'd like to hear yours i think there's a lot of interest in the space given the size of the opportunity right I, again i mean look at where we are five percent mm -hmm. online versus 15 percent for retail e-commerce and retail versus 40 percent for right. travel right so and as a result of that um that's why you're seeing a lot of activity in the space mm -hmm. at the same time though I think the direction in which the space is going to take is really going to follow a lot of... The others, yeah. Is really going to, it's going to follow the others as an industry, mm -hmm. but in terms of the companies that are going to appear as the winners are going to be the ones that are maniacally focused on just this problem, because this problem in of itself is hard enough. Absolutely. Just, how does, let, let me get to the restaurant business, David. What do you, we, we've had lots of people at our different code events from the impossible, you know, changing nature of food and things like that. How do you look at the restaurant business right now? Because the retail space moved so quickly, even though it's only 15%, I think we can all agree that Amazon shifted people's thinking about retail and buying and how you buy things. How do you look at it over the next couple of years? Well, the, the restaurant space has certainly grown over the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, you have the advent of fast casual food, which mm -hmm. has become, uh, you used to have just your QSR guy, your casual dining restaurant, and then your high polished restaurant. And fast casuals come into the space with a very high quality product that you can get pretty quickly. And I think it's cost a lot of people in the industry to make sure that, number one, they're focused on quality first. Today's consumer knows more about food yeah. than any of us ever did growing up. They're all watching the Food Network. They're all experts. They all understand everything about how to be a chef tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able today to compete on quality and experience more than ever before. Certainly time dealing with, with DoorDash uh, time and people's pressure for time is part of the reason to get into the delivery business is more people are cooking are not cooking at home today uh, they're, They are still going out to eat. They want experiences But when they do stay home because they're in a dual income household as an example They want to be able to get things delivered and get them quickly So I think not ignoring what's happening in, in the marketplace with delivery would not be a good a good but Where do you imagine the restaurant? I want you to think out further like the imagine restaurants being I don't even know why we have kitchens anymore But that's no. another rant I could do later um, over drinks. But what do you, how do you see the restaurant of the future? Because, you know, I've talked to a lot of restaurateurs in the high end. They're being killed by regu regulatory stuff. For example, in San Francisco, I was just talking to someone. There's all kinds of challenges in the space. Um, how do you imagine the restaurant? What part, how much of your business is going to be online ordering 
that you're projecting out and two people's homes and what changes in that? And I'd like you to think about that. Where do you imagine how people are going to order? Because yeah, so it seems like a little slow still compared to everything else, how quickly everything else is evolving. Sure. I think on the technology front, Tony's probably thinking about five years from now, what's going to make it even easier than somebody using their phone? Um, from an overall dining experience and the restaurant space itself, uh, people are going to always want to get together. People are always going to want to have social experiences. They're going to always want to gather somewhere and have that experience. Um, so I don't think restaurants are going away. Uh, much like people say the mall's going away next week, I don't think the mall's going away next week either. People want to The week gather. after that, but go No, ahead. I don't think so. <laughs> I think, you know, my, my daughter, who's a Gen Z, loves going to the mall. And she's really? 15 years old. And she meets retro? her friends there. Okay. And, and the malls have continued to evolve and become more yeah. experiential. Yeah. I think they're meeting, meeting that marketplace. Right. And I think restaurants have to continue to be able to do that as well. What does that mean? What, like just make them... I think you, you can't just be um, the, the transactional dining experience. I'm going to have the same food as everybody else. I'm not going to make it fresh. Mm -hmm. There's going to be no differentiation in my experience when I walk into a restaurant. Mm -hmm. When you walk into a cheesecake factory, the lights are different. There's a different sound. There's a different feel. The textures, everything about it is much more of an experience than if you walked into your typical brick and mortar casual dining restaurant that there may be right. 1,500 or 2,000 of across the country. And when you, I'm just, I was just in Europe and I was noticing a ton of these restaurants where the screen is there, the servers come in. What do you think of that? I'm just, yeah, so I we get asked all the time about yeah. how technology is going to be used yeah. in restaurants and uh, many folks have decided to put a tablet on the table. Yeah. Uh, that's just not who we are. Right. We, we want people what to do you experience think of that? hospitality. You like the people talking to people. We do. I think people want to come out, they want to relax, they want to have an, an experience, and they want someone to take care of them. Mm -hmm. uh, that tablet on the table can take care of your perhaps your need of getting the food to you as fast as possible, but they can't have that interpersonal connection. And that's an important part of going out and dining and being in the hospitality industry. And that's where we want to continue to play. So, so no robots or holograms for you? No robots or anything you can see, certainly in the front as a guest. Who knows what technology can bring to our kitchens mm -hmm. moving forward? Uh, in terms of, of doing? In terms of, yeah. And yeah. Actually, we're adding the Impossible Burger to our menu right now. So oh, good. Sure That's you interesting. As well. yeah. It's quite good, actually. Yeah. It's surprisingly. It it's delicious. Yeah. So technology, and then we'll get some questions from the audience. What do you see happening? Are you experimenting in self-driving? We've always had those types of experiments, but, but, right. but on, the, on, 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 the, on the question around restaurants, the thing about food is that it happens 20, 25 times a week. So no matter how great delivery gets, how great the in-store experience gets, no one's going to order delivery 20 to 25 times a week or go inside of a restaurant 20, 20 25 times a week. You haven't and so, met me yet, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> or, uh, uh, or cook 20, 20 to 25 times a week. And so... I think the future of uh, whether you're in retail or you're in restaurants really shares a very similar fate. I think the best stores are, are going to offer an amazing in-store experience and convenience. In fact, you're seeing some of this. Some of the best, uh, some of the um, great operators out there are turning, you know, more of their spaces into efficient. Um, kitchens effectively you know there's lots of things that david and team have been doing mm -hmm. as well as others in turning more of their square footage and in, in being able to be very effective with that that business is actually more profitable sometimes than the in-store experience that allows them to reinvest either in new stores or even perfect the in-store experience so i don't think the stores are going away you're still going to want to have a drink at that bar you're still going to want to visit that but for your Michelin perspective what's restaurant. the biggest technology is it self-driving is it better what AI? There's, a, there's, there, there's a few things so so, so one it, it first is around data and, and actually using, collecting data in a way that can make things like AI or machine learning actually useful. 
Google and Facebook have done an amazing job collecting lots of information about You can't a, say amazing a, a, in Facebook this week, just so you know. Has, has, has done, you can say appalling. Has done a lot of work yes. in understanding our digital presence mm -hmm, they and have. what we do online yes. and on our, our phones. However, the offline world is largely still offline. Mm -hmm. And as whether that's in retail or whether that's in restaurants. And so the first is understanding where's every pothole, where is every parking space, where which door in this ballroom should a dasher actually come in, first thing. And, and before we even talk about things like AI or machine learning. And then, you know, going a few years beyond thinking about how do we actually bring the cost of delivery down in a way that can bring even more value to everyone in this so ecosystem. Of, of all the technologies, what did the one interest you the most? That future forward ones? The use of data and, use and, and how we actually collect data um, and, and actually use machine learning and artificial intelligence in, in a way that makes sense and brings business outcomes. Give me one example of that and we'll get to question. For example, uh, your top five restaurants in this city or San Francisco probably are not going to mirror anyone else's actually. As a result of that, it's all and, and as, it's always the data that you don't see that is most surprising. And so DoorDash collects hundreds of million, million data points of what people are buying, making recommendations about um, what people want to actually try based on what they've tried before. And that alone can generate um, lots of value for a consumer as well as a business. Understand, un understanding um, what type of dasher should you use, a cyclist, a car, a motorcycle, depending on whether or not there are hills in a city or whether or not um, there is no parking. Those types of things really inform the new way of commerce. And David, you, you share the data that you're getting between... He, uh, DoorDash does share data with us on a, on a weekly basis. On your, on your thing. Yeah. And, and the biggest trend you see from that? Uh, you know, one of the things we've learned besides is, avocado toast, which I'm so over. <laughs> you don't like Stuff. it? It's done. I it's did. Day. I did. But yeah, everything. Like, Brussels serious. sprouts too. Kind of. There, no, I still know. like them. But okay, good, anyway, because we just put those on the menu. Okay. Um, so w just one thing, and then please one up for questions too. Go, yeah. go ahead. Uh, tell me again your original. Your, your one trend that you see in restaurants, the one food trend, or. Uh, well, you know, I think sharing is today, uh, and and. Um, Again, experiential dining, where you're watching something as it's happened that's being prepared for you, is becoming more and more popular today. Oh, okay, yeah. interesting. All right, right here. Hi, my name is Ansel Lee. I work for Macy's. Uh, questions actually for both of you. Um, so, the restaurants I frequent, I have a natural curiosity. I ask um, the restaurants that do do DoorDash or every delivery service, how does this work for you? And the one common theme I hear is the sensitivity towards margins because food is really hard to make margins and yep. they don't have the ability to upsell the margin rich parts of their business. So do you share that sensitivity? Is there anything on your roadmap to help them out from a margin perspective? Because it would be unfortunate if you did shut down my favorite restaurants. <laughs> yeah, Tony, how are you going to help us make more money? <laughs> well, if we shut down any restaurants, we wouldn't be around either. So, 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 so first point. but. The first and most important thing to understand is how restaurants economics actually works. Basically, there's three major costs. There's people, there's food, and there's real estate. When you think about something like takeout, it's actually more profitable because we're not adding more kitchen space or real estate. We're barely adding more labor until it becomes a meaningful part of the actual business. So those are actually higher margins on an incremental sale. And if it's incremental, that new share of business 
is really uh, what's driving a, a lot of the investments here. And, 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 and that's a very, very, um, uh, uh, I, I, I guess, long-winded way of saying this is actually fairly profitable for restaurants on the to-go business. So to put your mind at ease a little bit, I think that for us, incrementality is important. And we've seen about 60 to 70% incrementality since in the delivery business. And Tony's point about the labor, it's actually not even that you might not have to add labor. There's actually less labor involved because there's no server involved in that transaction. There's no busser involved in that transaction. There's no host involved in that tra transaction. So in your kitchen labor generally, unless you're able to do some really phenomenal sales, is already in the restaurant. Some, from a margin perspective, as long as you can see that incrementality, number one, it can pay for itself and it can be a better margin as well. Right here. Hi, my name is Todd Wade, and I'm from Visa. Um, I don't think it's a Visa agenda question, though. It's more about jobs and what people are going to do. Um, so the CEO of SHIP said that the experience of having the person pick the groceries and walk them all the way to the uh, consumer's home was a big deal, and there was a bond between the person who picked and the person who received. And I think both of you are saying that there's actually an important place for people to have the jobs in the restaurant or in, in the car. So what's your outlook on how this, and, and we just resisted every notion of technology that could actually change away from people. So what is your view about how together you see this, our model moving to fewer people in restaurants and more uh, or the same number, they're just doing different jobs? Where, does, where do people get replaced in restaurants with technology? Well, today, the example I gave earlier, mm -hmm. uh, in casual dining restaurants where they're going to put an iPad on the table, a server that may have had four or five stations previously now has 10 to 20 in some mm -hmm. of those restaurants, or they're working to get rid of servers altogether. Mm -hmm. So more than likely in the front of the house jobs, if they are going to replace them with technology, if the guest wants to take on that burden of ordering through an iPad themselves, that would be a place that, that labor could be removed. And today is being removed from some businesses in, in the industry. And in the back? Uh, you know, in the back for us, it's a little bit different because we have 250 items made from scratch. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no technology today that's out there that can make it as delicious as a person can. So if down the road, automation improved around prep production, um, automation around, I don't know, there was a story, there was a hamburger flipping robot that, that came yeah, out I about two it. weeks ago. It lasted a day mm -hmm. uh, because it couldn't interact with the other people that it was working with. So I think that's way down the line uh, in, in a... It's not your traditional manufacturing where you can take a robot because everything's static and it happens the same way all the time. A restaurant is much more dynamic than that. All right, Tony, To me, it's all about how do you find the best activities for you know, the, the humans versus, say, the machines. So for example, we talked about self-driving earlier. So DoorDash has been testing different types of um, autonomous delivery systems for a while. And as an example, in our system, we have deliveries that travel five miles. We have you know, deliveries that travel five blocks. The deliveries that travel five blocks uh, that are very difficult to find parking for, um, that dashers may not prefer to accept, those deliveries may be more suitable for a self-driving type of uh, delivery. Mm -hmm. However, for deliveries uh, that require more complex operations, figuring out how do you collate three different stations of food, how do you climb five stairs, and, and how do you deliver it into the Vox office and clear security in New York City, that would be a lot more appropriate. Okay, last question for both of you. Most, biggest competitor you're worried about that's not you? Like, so who, who do you worry about of all of your competitors? The telephone. What? 
90%. I know we talk right, about all the companies. We talk about all these companies, but 90% of the time, plus, it's still my mom calling you know, her own restaurant mm-hmm. or someone walking in and picking up from their neighborhood Chinese place. Okay, the only man in America scared of the telephone. And you? What do you think? <laughs> I think uh, 10 years ago, I would have said that uh, there are other casual dining chains that we're concerned about, but today our competition is coming from everywhere. Home meal replacement, um, fast casual that I talked about earlier. Every type of food that can be produced, it seemed like today, is trying to get delivered to someone's house in a different way. So our competition is all around us every single day. It's not another traditional restaurant company. That's why we have to continue to just get better at what we do every day. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for the cheesecake. I will finish the entire thing. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Replay. If you liked it, then make sure to check out the other Recode Radio podcasts, Recode Decode, Recode Media, and Too Embarrassed to Ask. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. Special thanks to Golda, Arthur, and Jelani Carter. For full coverage of An Evening with Code Commerce and all the other Recode events, visit recode.net.